This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle. It's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Yeah! Oh! But there wasn't anything to do in Randolph. Saturday night was hiking a mile out in three feet of snow with uh, two cases of beer, building a fire, and uh, telling stories, and just being with each other. And we had nothing to do mm. except avoid the cops. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle. A celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your hosts, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield. And Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. This is the show Y-Tune Shuffle. Maggie Mayfield, your host here as always on a very hot Saturday morning with my co-host David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood secret weapon. Uh, yes, ma'am. Happy Pre- birthday, present. my friend. Thank you. Happy Thank birthday. you. Oh, 53. Is that all? 53. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky number seven, five plus three. Yep. I don't get that. That went well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If you're making in, the most of it. If you're into like numerology, that, right. that means something to some nerdy hippie out there. Mm-hmm. It, that's right. Okay. So, some, that's, and that's for the nerdy hippie. And the third voice that you hear in the studio is a good friend of mine that now lives here from Illinois, David Yates. Hey, Dave Yates. How are we? You tell me, man. Oh, I'm good. I've you got... are the, like the first comic to come in here that's like, oh, I hate mornings. Yeah. Can I have like seven more coffees? I'm just, I mean, I'm chemically dependent on coffee, so <laughs> it's like, don't laugh at my addiction, Maggie. No, I have the same one. Trust like I, me. Like I get hangovers, like coffee hangovers, where my head will throb in the morning until mm-hmm. I give it caffeine. Mm-hmm. So. But you do it the healthy way. There's no like cream or sugar or anything. You're no, nope, just straight? just black coffee, just angry black coffee. Angry black coffee. <laughs> you take it black. Yeah, take it all hot and black. He likes yeah. his coffee. Like he likes his women. Too hot to put in my mouth. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Whoa. Hey. I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> we have actually kind of an interesting history, Dave, my co-host, well, he Hollywood secret weapon. Um, we've been Facebook friends for a long time and kind of have circled the comedy scene in Illinois together, but never, like, I don't think right. I ever met you until he came out back in in January. I would say in passing, maybe, I think you did some shows in Champaign with the Tuttles when you were coming back to visit. Yes. And then we said hello in passing, but I don't think we got powwowed. Yeah, no, I don't think we ever really met. And then I'm literally at the Hollywood Improv on Melrose, and I'm talking to another comic about, God, no, something about radio. About comic things. It's no. the comic things, and I was like, Networking. radio, blah, 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 blah. And here comes Dave, this... he goes, hey, I'm Dave, and I uh, we're friends on Facebook. I was like, oh. That's this is what <laughs> those and, experiences are interesting. Like, yeah. oh, you're you, you know, they sort of like materialize in front of you. I've had a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm moving out here. He's like, this is serendipitous. And I'm moving out here in March. And I was like, cool. Hit me up when you get here. Literally, he did. And I think the next day we wound up yeah. hanging out and hitting the old open mic scene. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because like a lot of the times, um, at least in my experience with people in central Illinois, People that knew you wanted to make sure that I knew you. They're like, you need to reach out to Maggie Mayfield. You need to be friends with Maggie Mayfield, blah, blah, blah. Maggie Mayfield, Maggie Mayfield, oh Maggie God, Mayfield. I don't like this bitch, really? <laughs> uh, so, like, I, I kept in touch out of uh, suggestion, and then we met, and we hang, and... You're my friend, and I enjoy it, so... We like the late-night Chinese food adventures. Yeah, 
Yeah. That's what we do. And you're back on the meat train now, so I we am. can go back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no more vegetarianism for Maggie. <laughs> I saw her eating meat the other day. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm back on meat. I'm like, yeah. I was so sick. Oh, yeah. But Dave is quite the accomplished comedian. He's been all over the United States doing road gigs and touring and... Now you're here and doing yeah. commercials and doing... <laughs> oh, wow. Doing... You're running commercial right now? So, yeah. I've been doing comedy about six and a half, almost seven years, uh, and probably traveling for four of those. And then I moved out here, and a friend of mine told me to put my headshot up on LACasting.com, and I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'll do this. This yeah. is dumb. So I, I did, and I got a call back from a Norwegian cell phone commercial. Oh, wow. Uh, so cool. Yeah, and they, they originally hired me to do the role of guy getting his beard trimmed. So I was like, I don't give a shit. They're going to pay me almost a month's rent. I get there, and then they changed my role to guy laying in the forest with dogs. And uh, <laughs> it was weird for me because I grew up, you know, my dad's a heavy equipment mechanic. My mom's a legal secretary. So, like, the amount of work I did for the amount of money was just stupid. Yeah. Like, I was telling my dad, yeah. I was like, well, what did you do? I'm like, well, I sat in the chair and ate snacks. And they called me the talent. And then, <laughs> and then I laid in the woods with some dogs for 20 minutes and they paid me. So great. And he's just like, what? I'm like, it's just L.A., Dad. This is the way people make money out here. Yeah, that's called the hustle. Yeah. Don't forget but it that. Went, I mean, it went well. Like, I'm sure it was just all in your head at first. Like, I'm naked, but I guess everyone else is too. The first five minutes, you're like... You're you're trained, I guess, for at least my experience as a society to like avert your eyes when you see nudity. I guess that's just the way it goes. Like yeah. I, when Locker I was growing rooms. up, when I was growing up watching movies with my folks, if there was a naked scene, you, your eyes get covered or the blanket gets thrown. Yeah. So like the first five minutes, I'm there. I'm like, ah, there's people old enough to be my grandparents just swinging in the wind. I'm just like looking and like down, and then. <laughs> You know, and then you just eventually get immune to it. So five minutes later, you're like, oh, there's a dong. You know, there's dong no, is good, right? There's another good. one. Ding dong. My there, ding. There's another one. Yeah. No, it's not like. No, these, these are the professional party. nudists. These yeah. are. Yeah, these are. What is a professional yeah, nudist? But where Break do they it keep down. their wallet, Dave? <laughs> they have little satchels that they kind of carry around. That's, true. That's true. Trust right? me, I was worried. I'm like, how am I going to sell merch? Like, we're, uh, I don't want any crack dollars. Yeah. You know? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. What? Where else are you going to keep it? Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. I mean, in a satchel, apparently. In a, in a little carrying <laughs> satchel. The funniest part, though, is they're so non, like, they don't think about it. Like, I was in the dining hall eating dinner, and there's this guy just having a conversation with me, standing like two, three feet from my meal with his uh, twig and berries, just like yeah. hanging there. I'm just like, right on, man. Were you clothed at that point? Yeah, I stayed clothed up until I wanted to do my set. Plus, because like it was out in the woods, like and I didn't want to get any mosquito bites. Oh yeah, in places where I've never had mosquito bites. Yeah, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a cool memory. Yeah, really cool, cool milestone. Well, you definitely inspired me to do. I'm doing this show tonight called Funnies in Your Undies. Yeah, amateur, and after I, amateur hour. I know you say An that. Amateur like, hour. I think it's different for women because of our fans, <laughs> and I think underwear suggests something also. And it's not at a nudist resort or at an underwear colony. And no one else in the audience is going to be in our underwear, just the performers. So I think it's a little bit different. But you've definitely inspired me. And well, I'm gonna, good. And I'm going to do just, it. That's my goal. And I'm going to do it. That's my goal. I'm like, if Dave can do it naked, I can do it in my underwear. There you go. I mean, it's... 
That's a weird sentence. I never thought I would say that before. <laughs> I'm taking it all in. Yeah. I've, I've been accredited for worse, you uh-huh. know. I just, I love being on stage and I feel like uh, any opportunity to do or have a different experience because we get up on stage all the time mm-hmm. over and over again and sometimes it feels like the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's still exhilarating, but it's... It's normalized. Yeah. I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. Like, Where people are like, oh, do you get nervous getting on stage? It's like, not at all. I just, I go... And I and I do do my work. You're like excited, and I, and and, I try to yeah. connect with the audience, and that's it. Yeah. Now doing it naked, it's just like this is a new feeling. I'm all about the new experiences. Now you don't come from a family of performers. You said uh-uh. your dad worked doing mechanic, ca- mechanic, yeah. and then a legal secretary was yeah. your mom. Where did you get the performing bug? Do you remember your first open mic? How you got started in comedy? Yeah, I. Um, <laughs> so the performing bug. I mean, I, uh, precursor to that, I played guitar for a lot of years, cool. and I always just wanted to be like I did talent shows, played blues guitar. So that was high school, and then college was party, 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 and then. Um, my life was kind of going nowhere, and I moved down to central Illinois, like you do, you know? <laughs> uh, in 2011, I really uh, I, I had a real big problem with alcohol, and uh, I needed something to replace it. So I uh, quit drinking, and I convinced my buddies to let me go up for 10 minutes at their music open mic at a bar called Lunkers in normal Illinois. Oh. And they ran the music open mic, so I got up there. I wrote like 10 things on a napkin, and I just started riffing about those things and uh-huh. the first couple minutes you have to convince people like you're not trying to sell them bibles or whatever because they're just bar flies uh-huh. looking for music yeah. so and i got a couple laughs and i just kept doing it comedy served as an ample replacement for the drinking in the very beginning wow. so i just did that so i stopped i stopped drinking at that time <laughs> and then uh just the comedy club opened in town it was called laugh i know such a kitchen. <laughs> L A double F. This note L A U G H. Very phonetic. Uh, <laughs> Good. Well, I just hung out there. I was there Wednesday through Saturday. I never, I never left the comedy club. Open mics, mopping the floors, bar backing. Just any any chance that I could be around any comic that was working and getting paid to do comedy, I was just there. And it was such a small scene, so there wasn't many comics in our scene. So I was just always there. And eventually they would throw me spots on the weekends. I learned how to host there. And the club, sadly, was only open for two and a half years, maybe three. And then once it closed, I uh, went west to Peoria, 42 minutes west, to find my new home club, the Jukebox Comedy Club mm-hmm. in Peoria. And that was my home club until I moved out here to Los Angeles. And then from there, like you said it didn't take you long to start getting, you got really excited and just started branching out and getting yeah. on the road. and. That's what I. That's the advice I got from a lot of comics that I met. You know, the headliners and features that were traveling. They're like, you just need to get out there mm-hmm. and go. So I didn't have a way to get there because I was running on a sweet DUI for the first three years of my comedy career. So uh, the any paid road gigs, I had to pay someone to take me. So another local comic that maybe was just starting out, a couple months in, I'm like a year or two in, I would just pay them my wage. Whatever I was making from the venue, yeah. I would just give to them like, hey, please, you know, give me a ride here. You'll be able to hang out with some comics and network and learn some stuff. So, yeah, for the first three years, all my money went into getting rides to do shows until I, got, until I got my car. Who are some of the notables that came through the jukebox, I guess, is where you started networking with headliners and Oh, uh, so it started It started in, uh, it started in at Laugh. At Laugh. At, at Laugh. I'm going to list some names of people 
when when I say notable, I mean notable to me. That's what I meant. As yeah. far yeah, yeah, like helped you out. Because let me preface this with uh, uh, a guy named Nate Timmel is one of those guys that passed through and he wrote an article about when people ask you who your favorite comedians are. Maria Bamford, Louis C.K., they're great, but they don't need my help. So some of these names I'm going to list are people that are still working the road, are still putting out great albums, but they're just not household names. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, a guy named Patrick Garrity, and he gave me my first piece of stand-up advice, which was, you know, you need water to survive, so you need stage time like you need water. So get as much as you can. Get as much as you can to stay hydrated and get better at this. So that was Pat Garrity. And then uh, Ricky Reyes, another Orlando comic, super kind. Uh, Tom Simmons. Tom Simmons is a Carolina guy. Tom's got a web series called Then There's This, I believe. And, and they took the time to hang out with me, Carmen Morales. Carmen Morales is out here now in yeah, L.A. Yeah. So a lot of these people that are out here now I've known for almost seven years, and they were my mentors. After the shows, we'd go and partake in a little herbage, and I would just ask them questions. Like Al Jackson, who's out here, and he's you know been on At Midnight and all these things. Like I'm not trying to name drop here, but these are just people who are important to me mm-hmm. in yeah. my comedy journey. Don't know? worry about the name dropping. Dave Hollywood's secret weapon is. Uh, I is got a infamous. I got a truckload yeah. of sure. name, yeah. and it's the same thing because the people that I met were open yeah. micers. Yeah. Louis C.K. was uh, you know an when open he had micer. hair. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not much, you know, believe it or not, but even back then. But uh, yeah, drop them. So, and then uh, there's another guy who is my favorite stand-up comedian working in the live today. His name is Stuart Huff. He is one of the most brilliant and kind and beautiful human beings that are out there. And he's a hell of a stand-up. He's like one of those comics where you watch his set and you're like, I gotta burn my notebooks. I have to light all these on fire (laughs) because he's just that good. And I was only a couple years in and like the club owner at the time was giving me a hard time and... We had exchanged numbers the last time he was in town. I asked him, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Can I buy you dinner, pick your brain, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll get there soon. I'm just junk shopping. I'm like, what do you what? mean you're junk shopping? He's like, oh, I'm just going to like thrift stores and oddball shops uh, yeah. and just buying things that make me happy. I'm like, what? He's like, I bought an eight-foot stuffed boa constrictor the other day. <laughs> You know, and Stuart's from Kentucky originally. He's based in Athens, Georgia now, but like he's got that twang to him. Uh-huh. And he's just, he was one of those guys that told me, just keep plugging away no matter what. Because the club owner was just, just giving me a real hard time mm-hmm. under the guise of, we'll make you better. Which, I mean, it did ultimately. But Stuart and I had pizza and he was just like, you know, don't worry about him. He'll go away. Eventually he will go away. You can't treat people like that and, and, and have any kind of longevity yeah. in the Midwest. And I saw Stuart before I left for L.A. and he gave me another nugget of great advice. I went up to go see him, Tom Simmons and Jay Whitecotton on their American Heretics tour. It was just at a small bar in Chicago. And he goes, uh, oh, you're going out to L.A.? That's wonderful. He's like, well, you're always going to be funny, so don't worry about that. You're funny. Oh, yeah, that doesn't go away. He he. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So all this other stuff is just extra. I haven't been doing this as long as I've been doing it. Like, I might not be someone's particular brand of comedy, and that's okay. But you know, I've been doing this <laughs> almost a decade. You uh-huh. know, so someone yeah. hopefully would have told me along the way, like, hey, you might. <laughs> Like, you might not want to do this to yourself anymore. That would be the worst thing to hear ever. Well, shall we dive into some music? Yeah, song number one. Oh, yeah. This is pretty. Have you never heard this? I don't think so. 
She don't like her eggs all runny. She thinks crossing her legs is funny. She looks down and knows that money. She gets it on like the Easter bunny. She's my baby. I'm her honey. I'm never going to let her go. Like it. Like what it. is this? Just keep going. He ain't got late in a month of Sundays. Caught him once and he was sniffing my undies. He ain't too sharp, but he gets things done. Just wait for the Drinks chorus. beer like it's oxygen. He's my baby, and I'm his honey. Never gonna let him go. In spite of ourselves, we'll end up sitting on a rainbow. Against all odds, honey, we're the big door prize. We're gonna spike our noses right off of our faces. There won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. Nice. It's, so uh, what is it? Who is this? What is so it? So this is John Prine, and the song is In Spite of Ourselves. Man, this song has been with me forever. Do you it's, remember the first time you heard it? Probably when I was first learning how to play guitar and like at like 15 or 16. You know, I've always been into folk music, and someone had played that for me, and I can't remember who it was. But uh, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is what love is. Uh-huh. And that song has been a basis for my entire life. Uh, it's made me cry. It's making me tear up now. Oh. Because it's just a beautiful, it's a weird, beautiful song. Yeah. You know? And it's like these two people are just weirdos. And the song's in spite of ourselves. Like, regardless of all our crazy weirdness, like, we're going to be fine. That song's gotten me through breakups. That song's gotten me through new relationships. And it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird song. No, it's great. I like yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and I think that in spite of ourselves, for me, really sort of captures what sometimes gets missed when people hear songs. They kind of want to identify with just the perfect, dreamy kind of message. But in, that's just part of a successful relationship is to be humble and, and say, you know, we, we got our flaws, but look at what we're going. What's the bigger picture? Yeah, I, it's just a beautifully written song. John Prine is just one of those guys where it's just like his lyrics, they tell a story and he paints weird pictures with his words. And it's just I've always loved John Prine. Um, he's on my bucket list. I still haven't seen him live. How does this get you? This song get you through a breakup? I, I mean, what, what, what I hear in the song is the they're, they're making it. Yeah. And after a breakup, I don't really equate making it. Um, so when I hear that song, it reminds me that the relationship I was in is not that. It wasn't this. It wasn't in spite of ourselves. I feel like the person I'm supposed to be with, that's what it's going to feel like. I get it. So that's been my barometer for what I think love and relationships should be. And if it's not that, if it ends in a breakup and I listen to that, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's right. That wasn't this. Oh, that's, and that's so I can great. move on. Would you say that through your relationships, though, that like you learn and grow and maybe the standard changes a little bit? Kind of, sort of. I've, I've kind of uh, shelved the whole idea of a relationship <laughs> yeah, just because comedy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dude. So, yeah, 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 it's changed where I want absolutely nothing to do with him. Dude. Is he sitting like And it'll change back like... and then it'll change back. Yeah. Sure. But you, you never know. I mean, I think it's what we're going to be willing to put into it at time and point. You yeah, know? I, always, I, I, I always remain an open-hearted person. So mm-hmm. if good, it good. if it comes my way, that's what's going to happen. And then ultimately, like here's the thing: 
not a lot of people like being second or third of importance in my life. Uh, So I've been, this is going to come out one way or another, but I've been uh, in recovery. I've been sober for a little over five years, five and a half years. So uh, in my life, the rule of importance for me, it goes uh, staying sober, comedy, and everything else. But there's room for everything else. It, it, it all well, I make will time for, uh, yeah, the it, people it I'm with, I make time for. Yeah. But I've been married to comedy since the moment I stepped on stage. And nothing has been more consistent in my life. Nothing has made me feel as much joy or as much pain as this relationship. So, I mean, I move forward and I'm open for anybody who wants you to know, message, message I, me on social you, media. You, 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 I'm you, pretty you, handy. I, I, can, I a, can relate to I'm that. I'm a great cuddler. <laughs> I cook. Stop. I fix things. I'm very giving. Okay. Very giving. Was that your Tinder profile? Did you just read it? shuffle at gmail.com, ladies. Haven't had, a, haven't had a dating app in two years. Yeah, good for you. Nope. That's haven't weird. had a date in two years? Haven't had a dating, dating app. app. Oh, a dating app. <laughs> yeah. That's a really okay. big deal. Anytime I'm, I'm tempted to put one back, I just remember like the person I'm supposed to be with is going to be out there doing stuff because I'm out there doing stuff constantly. Like I don't know how to sit still. So. Yeah. In spite of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Good first pick. Song number two. from folk to a little blues. A little blues. I started playing guitar when I was like 13, and I was pretty enamored with the blues and Stevie Ray Vaughan specifically. I mean, who isn't? (laughs) Communists. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Russians. Yeah. Um, But this was a song that I could play. Cool. Was this the first song you learned how to play on guitar? Mm-mm. The first song was Come As You Are by Nirvana. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. And 13. Then, yeah. And then That's the, just perfect. And then the next one was uh, Iron Man by Black Sabbath. <sighs> oh, my God. The first one I learned to play on guitar, Blues Traveler, Run Around. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> Learning it was easy, but then the lyrics were very deep. You know, life by the drop. And like, I'm a I'm a big fan of music that gives me goosebumps or that evokes an emotion. Yeah, that I think music is the best. That the only thing I love almost as much as comedy is music. It's a beautiful song. It's life by the drop. This is that's how we're all living. Life is fleeting. It's not guaranteed to any of us. You You were 13 years old when you started playing guitar. Mm -hmm. What were you like as a 13-year-old? I had a rat tail uh, to start. (laughs) uh, uh, So, you know. What were you like in school? Were you like class clown or were you really nerdy, smart kid? No. I I mean, uh, I was jabberjaw. Like, I used to get my name written on the board because I couldn't stop talking. (laughs) All the time. I I just would not stop talking. (laughs) 
they slapped me on Ritalin when I was like in second grade. They're really? Like, they're like this really? kid needs pills. Wow. So music was my salvation from the pills, I guess, being like second or third grader on essentially speed. Right. <laughs> uh, so the guitar was the only thing that could make you sit still for more than yeah, five seconds. Yeah, and I used to sit in my room for six to eight hours at a time just playing guitar. Cool. Like I was a social butterfly at school, but I didn't have any really like super deep friends afterwards. So like I'd get home off of the bus if I wasn't playing sports and I would just sit in my room and play guitar for six or eight hours a night. Brothers, sisters? I have a younger brother, so he's four years younger than me. Are you guys close? Uh, not particularly. I mean, I love him, but like we're not particularly close. Right. Um, You're like, oh, I guess I'll see you at Christmas next year. Yeah, if that. Wow, you know? really? So, yeah. You know, we were, we're cool. Uh, no, no ill will. Uh, he was always busy doing uh, his life stuff. Uh, he was big on sports, too, so... I mean, I was four years older, so it was just kind of like a uh, little brother kind of nonsense, yeah. you know. So we we both each kind of done done our own thing. And like when I was getting heavy in guitar, like, you know, between 13 and 13 and 18 or 13 and 19 before I went to college, you know, I just locked myself in my room. Like, so it wasn't anybody's fault, but mm-hmm. I just kind of closed myself off from the world because I, you know, I'd get a, a home from school. I was never getting any calls on the landline, yeah, you know, right. to go hang out. <laughs> you know, no one. Well, that's because your little brother always used the AOL CD. Yeah. He, yeah. He yeah. was always on that. <laughs> he was always on, he was always on that 56K. <laughs> you know, but to, to the point of relationships and, and close or, you know, where, where do you stand with that? It's kind of bringing for me a little bit of a theme in this show and your selects, you know, the first two. They are emotional and they speak to perhaps what are moments in a person's life as opposed to the normal every day. Like I'm thinking about my brothers and sisters now that you mentioned it, Dave. You know, I haven't seen or talked to my older brother, Danny, or my middle brother, Tony, for a long, long time. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. embarrassed to say how long, but we're cool. And, it, and it's like, yeah. it's, it, you know, my, my definition of like, are we close is more of a a cosmic thing than an act. That's oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, and I would agree. I, I think people get hung up on what family really is. Yeah. And uh, I have movable parts in at the banquet table that is Dave's family. Yeah. You know, so uh, people come and go uh, as they please. Yep. I don't try to keep anybody there. Yep. You know, my folks have always just let me do my own thing. Like I, I give a call every once in a while. We catch up. My dad's got his eye on retirement. My mom's still being a legal secretary. She's been with the same firm forever. I don't have a big family. It's it's me, my mom, my dad, my little brother. I have an aunt in Indiana and uh, her husband. And that's it. I think I've got a couple of strange cousins. But mm-hmm. I don't have like our, our Thanksgivings are great. We eat at like 11 a.m. and then we're done by like one. Yeah. And then we just watch football and just lay around and cool. watch TV. So, mm. yeah, I never had a big family dynamic to cling to. Um, and I've always been out and about. So, people in the comedy world have been my family. People in the recovery world have been my family. My family has been my family, but a I, different kind of close. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I've dated, I've dated women who've been Italian, have had big, big old families, uh-huh. you know, and I operate well in that kind of environment. But I just don't understand what it's like to have six, seven uncles and aunts and right. a litany of nieces and nephews and cousins. I just don't – that doesn't compute for See, me. See, I have that, but we have never as a family and for a number of reasons ever done that. And you turned out just fine. <laughs> Check out these outsides, baby. Rock solid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On paper, I'm solid. Uh, inside, let's not go. Number three? Yeah, sure. Wasn't long, child, we were to meet. 
I got there early to bring her joy. I started hurting when I saw her flirting <laughs> with a bleach blonde surfer boy. Ouch! He had oh. big muscles. Oh. He had a oh, I love this. Is that stand up bass? Got to a scuffle. They've been in the news lately, haven't they? Uh, a little bit. I don't know if your uh, Facebook feed has blown up with your Illinois friends. Ah, uh, the taxes, I think. The taxes, taxes and the small business and... Chirac. Man. We hate when people call it that. Just to let you know, we hate it. (laughs) Someone yesterday said that. I'm like, I just moved here from Chicago. They're like, Chirac. I'm like, that was a good Spike Lee joint. But other than that, like, uh, yeah. Don't want that to become a Frisco. Wasn't that the name of a movie? Chirac, yeah, that's, that's a Spike Lee joke. Yeah, yeah. Was that a yeah. documentary or name dropping? Jay Washington. Jay Washington was on the show, and he was in that movie. Chirac. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Illinois my entire life. The whole Chicago. I mean, Chicago's always been kind of bad in that regard with <laughs> with <laughs> politics and taxes, and and it's just something we've all been used to. Oh, for so for, the fact that anybody's freaking out right now. I mean, I'm not into economics or politics or anything like that. That's not my jam. But, like, you live in Illinois. You should know better by now. Two of our governors are sitting in jail right now. Like, what, what tells you that we're, we're operating? <laughs> we vote well. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. Illinois. Surprise, surprise, surprise. We're good at a lot of things. Voting. But <laughs> so Illinois Anthem, um, the story behind this. <laughs> Chicago Farmer is the name of the artist. That's my friend Cody. And I met him when I moved from Chicago down to Bloomington. Him and a friend used to do music at the country bar in town on Tuesday nights, once a week, or Wednesday nights, I can't remember. But Ed Anderson, who's also another phenomenal musician um, that you should check out, so Chicago Farmer and Ed Anderson, um, for those listening, uh, they used to let me do comedy in between their set breaks nice. uh, at the country bar. That's fun. So they, so they And I was like maybe a year or two in the comedy, and they would take a set break for like 10 or 15 minutes and go drink beer and hang out. And Cody, Chicago farmer, would always let me go do comedy. So I would be, wow. I would do ten minutes at a country bar where they were not looking for comedy again. Like I, <laughs> I've always just got on stage wherever I could. You know, when you're in Central Illinois, we're two hours south of Chicago. So if I wanted to go do a bunch of sets, I would have to drive two hours north and two hours back, which I did. But to find good stage time in Bloomington, you had to make it. So that's another reason why I picked that song. It's just like it's a fun song about where we're from, yeah. Illinois. There's a couple local references about the the strip club, the Kappa Cabana in oh there. And it's just a fun song. And he's such a, a brilliant musician and he does music festivals. How old were you when you moved from Chicago to Central Illinois? I was 20, let's see, 19, 20, 20. 23 or 24. I have to use fingers to count. (laughs) (laughs) That had to be a really bizarre transition because you grew up Mm -hmm. in the city, really. And then you're like, nope, nope. My folks lived about 40 minutes out of the city. And then I lived downtown proper for about six years. And it was a culture shock going down to central Illinois. And especially because I I mean, I I only my plan was to go down there temporarily just to stack money and move back to Chicago because Chicago will always be my home. That's where I grew up. Up, I think as a as a person, like not growing up, but like as a youth. But you know, I became an uh, adult. Became, yeah, yeah, in Chicago, a human. But then moving down to Central Illinois, it's just like a, it's a college town. 
And there's nothing like Bloomington normal is the city. Everything closed down at nine, but the bars wasn't any real good, like small restaurants. It took me years to find out where the good Thai food was, where the good Indian food was. Ex- I was going to say that exists. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In the deep corners of the town because it's just, it's State Farm headquarters is yep. in Bloomington, Illinois. You had college kids and then you had State Farmers, which are ex-college kids that just never left town. That's And the reason I also mentioned, you know, Chicago Farmers, like... I guarantee you he's not well known out here and he deserves to, his music deserves to be bought and played. Could have picked a number of songs, uh, but I thought about it and like I'm a big believer in telling people about music and comedy that they probably have never heard of. That's huge for me. Dave has this unbelievable ability to give so freely. He's always so quick to say Maggie's so great. She does all these things. You should definitely blah, 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 blah. But he doesn't take enough credit for himself, I don't think. (laughs) And we've been talking about, we were at an open mic, I think, last week. And he was telling me, he's like, I just need to stop talking. I just give out all this advice because that's what people did for me. Do you mind talking about this battle a little bit? Yeah, go for it. I mean, it's when I first came up in comedy, people, like I said, those headliners and features that were traveling were, were so kind and and giving me advice and what to do what not to do how to operate in the stand-up world now being out here where you know fast forward through my teachings you know almost seven years in now i'm the one with the knowledge and so you've got a pretty expansive tool belt and what's great about dave is he he is very talented he's very memorable on stage and you've got great energy even when you get off stage and the young comics they can sense that and they really flock to you and they ask you a million questions and you you get in your head i think sometimes and just give off this advice and there's this weird dichotomy here in LA where I would say a good 99% of comics hate when you give unsolicited advice. Sure. They're like, mm. I got this. I don't need your help. Yeah. Mm. You're not better than me. But yeah. then there is that like slight golden. That yeah. Way. And that's, see, that's how I was brought up. There's a, there's a little comedy club in uh, central Illinois called Mason City Limits. Um, and it's run by a guy named Chris Spire. John Means, uh, he was a comic in the Bay Area and went by Doctor Gonzo, and they came up. <laughs> in, they came up in the eighties and uh, in the early nineties. They were road dogs, and they were the type of guys that w- they'll sit in the back and watch your set and write something on a piece of paper if they think of an idea or a tag or a punchline or a wording, and they'll just hand it to you and they're like, "Hey, I thought of this while you were up there where you were doing this bit. If you can use it, cool. If you can't use it." No, no big that, deal. That's just great. That's just great. Yeah, but out here that doesn't. It, it, that it, does not. I exist. think people get possessive out here. Why, they do. Yeah. People out here are either afraid that you're they're not going to get something before you, or they're not going to get something they should get, or that you trying to help them means that they're not good, or whatever. Right. The mentality to, is so skewed. Rather than like, hey, we're all here trying to make this cool art. Here's an idea that you can use. Yeah. They're like, nope. It's every man for himself. It's a, it's dig a, deeper to find it's a cool me people. first. But look, I like the L.A. comedy scene. There's a there's some of the best comics on planet Earth are here. Yes, sure. And I've met some really kind people and some people that what you said, you were doing a show in the O.C. and you just met someone that jives the way you jive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think I've come to terms with the whole the wrestling in my brain is like, do I just continue to be helpful in spite of it all or do I pick and choose? And I think the signs will always be there. I'm not one to go up to a stranger and be like, hey, this, 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 this. If we find ourselves in a conversation after a show Mm -hmm. and it comes up organically – because it was given to me for free. It was given to me, I will, well, for a couple bolt hoax, but like it was given to me. It was, <laughs> That's basically free. It was, yeah. But I mean, my entire career, you know, which is not 
it, it is what it is, but everything that has meant anything to me, including Y Tune Shuffle, has been an open collaboration mm-hmm. where it's very clear to me I need your help yeah. to finish this. And yeah. I, I love when that when that energy happens. And, I do too. And it happens in L.A. everywhere, but it's a little tougher in L.A. I will definitely agree. There's good people out here. You just got to sift through them. And, and the thing is, is a lot of these people that can't take constructive criticism won't be in this business very long. What do you mean by that? that can- <laughs> <laughs> no. Exactly. Yeah. Do you guys have any that, notes a, for my a, joke? A I just made that, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's very aggressive. Yeah. This early in the morning. What are your yeah. notes? Come on, help it's me. It's your birthday. We're going to let you slide on this one. <laughs> Thank but, you, baby. But, but the last thing I'll say, and I've been saying this a lot too, is comedy doesn't owe you anything. Comedy doesn't owe you one thing. Comedy doesn't owe any of these people starting out anything. Comedy owes you nothing, and it will prove it to you time and time again. It owes you nothing. You're going to get gigs that are awful, and yeah. you're going to love doing them. And you're going to get gigs that are wonderful, and it's going to it's going to be the high that carries you for months. That's important. And you're going to work with people that are just like your, your kindred souls, and you're going to work people that are awful. Comedy doesn't owe you anything. I think that's true, but also about life. Yeah. No, no. Life. Comedy is life to me. I, I'm going to do My only goal in comedy is to do this until I'm in Velcro shoes. But that's <laughs> I just want to do it until I'm old There'll and be senile. Gigs. There will be gigs. Ready for song number four? Four. And it's going to be a change of pace. Yeah. Okay. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warmer G was on the street uh, trying to consume. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like taking you back. Some little West Coast hip hop. Straight out Isn't of it nice road. to like go to LBC and you're like, this is what they were talking about? I was the only one. <laughs> I do that with a lot of music. This is Santa Monica Boulevard? Wow. This is the Boulevard of Broken Dreams? Uh, yeah. And the sun comes up over Santa Monica Boulevard. That's a dirty song. I know. <laughs> it's conjured right, up some images. Why this song? Um, I've been into hip hop since I was real young. I think, like, I think a lot of white South suburbs uh, people got into hip hop around, like when Warren G's Doggy Style blew up, yeah, and Dr. Dre's The Chronic blew up. We, all, I mean, everybody just wanted to be part of the cool thing, and so like Warren G, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's cousins with Snoop Dogg. Uh-huh. So, and then when he put out Regulate with Nate Dogg, uh, the late great Nate Dogg. Uh, I picked up that album, and this was when hip hop albums had the advisory stickers on them. So I would I would buy them and peel the advisory sticker off before they got wise and started just like printing it in the leaflet. Yep. I would go to like when Cub Foods, the grocery store, had like yes. a like a, a, a aisle of CDs. I would go, <laughs> and I remember I convinced my mom to let me buy Warren G's Regulators and Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, which. <laughs> An album like Doggy Style, I mean, I love my mom, but she was probably naive to the double entendre of uh, Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style. So I had those albums, and I would listen to them in my my Discman, and uh, they would curse and talk about suggestive things, and I'm like, ah, this is the best. I will still, and Warren G's Regulators, I will still karaoke this. Nice. Oh, good. All over. Hey, so you were the older brother in your family. Who was like your musical influence? Like who who kind of introduced you to this stuff? Because everyone kind of has one. So my dad's music taste was like Ario Speedwagon, uh, Bob Seger, John Mellencamp. 
My mom's music taste was the Beatles, the Monkees, Elvis, cool. Bob, Bobby Darin, a lot of the crooners. Yeah. That was my... Be- and my dad was into country music as well, like 90s country. Nice. You know, Brooks and Dunn, you know, stuff like... Because, I mean, we'd be in his truck cruising and he'd just be listening to 90s nice. country. So, like, I can sing so much 90s country and it just, like, it hits me like a weird reflex because it'll come on and I'll just know all the words. Yeah. What would you guys... Where would you guys cruise to? You just get in the truck and go or... Just get in the truck and go, visit friends or, like... He would take me to the rail yard sometimes. You know, I got I got to bring your kid to work day uh-huh. and be around a whole bunch of mechanics like like dirt bags telling horrible jokes to each other. <laughs> you know, did so, you guys ever have to go to the junkyard and like pick out parts from cars? Oh yeah, we did that. I mean, that was just a commonplace because my dad. I, I get my side hustle mentality from my old man because um, he was always fixing stuff for people, always doing side jobs, fixing lawnmowers, sprinkler, uh, irrigation machines. So like, I was always taught to do whatever it took to make extra money. That's kind of like the way it was when he wasn't in the rail yard. He was fixing everybody's stuff, whether it be for cases of beer or it would be for exchange and goods and services. Like, But as far as hip hop goes, it just, it was a wave that came through like a couple of the older kids in town had a couple of the albums and you want to be cool like the older kids. So you get them. And then once hip hop passed in popularity, I guess in our little, I just kept listening. Yeah. I just, couldn't stop listening to hip hop, so it's always been. And I'm I'm big on words. Like I I got my degree in English, so I, I, I'm into the lyricism. I'm still I still love a lot of hip hop today. It just depends on the day. I'm very ADD, and especially like West Coast hip hop. Cool. From the streets, the mean streets of South Suburbs of Chicago. All right, here we go. Song number five. It's a loud one. Yeah. Uh, crank it up. Let's go. Let's hear it. <laughs> this is a Y-Tunes connection. Yeah. So in high school, I, I had a high school sweetheart, Paul. Still friends with him to this day. He's married, got a couple kids now. We were together for like four years. I went off to college in New York City. And I think he came to visit once or twice, which was cool. But when I came back, oh, my God, I was so mad. <laughs> he said, he was like, I've got this amazing surprise for you. I said, okay, cool. I thought maybe like dinner or like a little party or something with all my friends. And uh, it was a brand new truck. He bought himself a brand new truck and that was my surprise. I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, I came up for college and this was my surprise. Jerk, whatever. But uh, the album that we would play was the Deftones, was Deftones the whole freaking time. So we would cruise listening in that stupid new truck. <laughs> which, 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 was it this album? I'm not sure. But every time I hear Deftones, that's what I think of is like getting off the plane and getting into this new truck that was my surprise <laughs> surprise by <my> truck <laughs> oh, guys yeah. guys poor guys. deftones <laughs> but we did have we had a lot of fun actually in that truck i convinced it was a brand new tacoma i think a 2003 tacoma which had quite a bit of controversy around him buying that because he worked for starbucks at the time and at the same time there was a whole bunch of 
nonsense about someone stealing from the drawer. And then here he shows up with this brand new Toyota Tacoma. Oh, dear. And they thought it was him. And so he got let go and wound up working for like, I know, isn't that great? And I know it wasn't him, but. Did you? I did know. And because he's just one of the, like the kindest, most like. Let's do the right thing, kind yeah, of guys. That's weird. And he, well, I wound up convincing him that, like, and guys in their trucks. I figured out very early, like, it's truck family, and then you. Um, that was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was the order. That's the order of uh, sobriety. What was, your, it was quite different. Sobriety, than comedy, everything else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, for Halloween, I wanted. I threw. I want these parties were legendary. They were called Maggie parties. And I wound up throwing this like Halloween really? party. Yeah, they were insane. And I wound up stealing this is so stupid, from Parkland College. So you're the one that was stealing the change <laughs> out of the truck. <laughs> I was the bad one. And I would I convinced him. I was like, hey, I want to go get these like hay barrels. These big, bar- like these hay I don't even know what you call them. Boxes. Bales. Bales. Thank Bales, you. Yeah. And we wound up going to Parkland College and they had this pumpkin patch. So we went after dark, pulled in, turned off the lights, and wound up getting like four bales of hay in the back of the truck and he was so mad at me because it like scratched up the the bed lining and I was like whatever dude it's gonna be an amazing any kind of man with a truck that doesn't have a liner in the bed that's amateur hour yeah but this is also that's urban cowboy this is Orange County and he wanted it because it was cool and raised (laughs) and beautiful and it's my opinion if you drive a truck out here and you don't need to drive a truck out here you you suck yeah I totally agree like gas is so expensive as it is like you're basically cruising around in a truck like people think people in Teslas are flaunting money it's people in those like raised up those raised up like get out of my way F two fifty like lifted trucks oh it's the worst I hate it it's the worst so that's Deftones for me. Deftones for you, Dave. It's not as good as you. <laughs> oh, come on. I just, I, I really love heavy metal as well. Deftones has always just been one of those bands that has been in and out of my life. I had an ex-girlfriend that was really into like Tool, Nine Inch Nails, the Deftones, mm-hmm. S&M. You know, one of those kind of chicks. Yeah. And so, the bad girl that yeah. we all fall for. Yeah. Well, no, she was the right-wing conservative chick that liked. Oh, she had a secret. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's pretty common from what I hear. Conservatives, according to the prostitutes, the conservatives are the more <laughs> course, freaky. Like, you say according to the prostitutes, <laughs> like there's a bulletin? Like according to the- I read an article on Playboy back in the 80s, and I was I was uh, mesmerized by this. You know, the according customers to- that are con- yeah. So it, it, it doesn't- so that's where I picked up the Deftones was was from uh, that girl who we do not talk anymore. She's okay. since married and had a kid, uh, which is good because she uh, the first she time some stability. Yeah, well, so so it reminds me. Uh, well, this is where I picked up the Deftones. These songs don't remind me of her, but this no. is just where they originated. But like the first time I ever did stand up comedy, I was drunk. I was on the north side of Chicago. And I was at, uh, I think we were at, like at this coffee shop bar type scenario, right? And there was comics there, and I was heckling. I know, <gasps> I know, even me. And uh, and I'll tell you this is I was heckling because I really wanted to do it. Yeah. And she was there, uh, the, the ex girlfriend in question, and I was heckling this comic. He's like, "If you think this is so easy, why don't you come up and do it?" And I'm like, "All right." Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. So, so I ran up there and I told an awful, awful joke. Oh, God, do you remember it? Yes, 100%. I remember it. Spill it. <sighs> it's such a – it's a street joke, and it's – okay. So uh, so this coffee shop bar, it was in the north side of Chicago. So uh-huh. it was in, the, in Boys Town, essentially. Okay. Yep. 
an abundance of lesbians in the audience. So I get on stage and I say, what's the useless skin on the vagina called? The woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> hello. Hello. And, I, and I, I walked off stage and the ex-girlfriend was nowhere to be found. She was like hiding in a oh back my room. God. That was a very like a, a very shitty joke, but like it's a street joke, you yeah, know? Yeah, yep, yep. And uh, I did a street joke and that's embarrassing. We know but yeah, so the Deftones is just one of those, uh, it's another one of those genres. It's like whenever I hear that song, it, like, it gives me goosebumps. It reminds me of an expansive part of my life from the very beginning. It was a horrible relationship. When I was going through my bouts of drinking, she's like, you're not an alcoholic. And I'm like, I think I am. And she's no. like, no, drink more wine with me. I'm like, okay. Uh. And then like when I was at like my worst, this is uh, a person that told me, um, like I... I will just jump into it. I like I wanted to commit suicide and I called her cuz she was one of the few people left in my life that I could talk to. And she in in telling her this, she goes um you never did anything that made me a better person in three and a half years that we dated. Please don't ever call me or talk to me again. Oh my god. And you're on the verge of suicide. Yeah, pretty much. Luckily I had a plenty of booze to just like drink myself into a blackout and pass out, but yeah. So, like, this song reminds me of that, too. This song reminds me of that because it hurt. And I, I mean, I'm glad she said that because I almost wanted to not do it in spite of her. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I think I'm going to kill myself. And she's like, you never did anything for me in three and a half years to make me a better person. I'm like, what the fuck? What the yeah, heck? You know? who are you? Yeah, like, uh, uh, like, I can look back on everybody that's done me dirty in my life and, and wish her well even though we haven't spoken you know and and i I wish everybody would understand that this stuff does pass you know these dark moments these sort of milestones where the music and our lives all kind of coalesce into you know this is part of it passing but i don't ever want to forget that feeling though no i don't know i don't think look like mental health is a serious issue and i think it's something (sighs) that no one talks about and and it's it's it'll get you and it's it's just and it's hard because it's just like we don't talk about it. We don't bring it to light because we want people to think that we're, you know, impenetrable forces, especially anybody in the entertaining people business, whether it be radio, podcast, comedy. It's like you can't show that you're hurting. And I think a brilliant mind turns in on itself, ultimately, if you don't take care of it. You know, the deaf tones are just it reflects on so many painful memories of my life. But it also makes me grateful because I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if all that didn't happen. If I didn't get broken up with a bunch of times, like I wouldn't know what I wanted out of life where it's just like, that's why I'm married to comedy. Comedy Mm -hmm. hasn't left me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't owe me anything, but it hasn't left me. Mm -hmm. The pain that I've suffered, which is no better or worse than the pain anybody else has suffered. You know, I'm not unique in that way. But that pain is why I'm sitting here. Mm -hmm. It is why I continue to push because I never want to feel like I felt in those days anymore. You know, and I, how I combat it is, uh, you know, uh, let's see, how can I say this? Um, sometimes I sit in rooms drinking burnt coffee with a lot of individuals uh, that also like to drink burnt coffee and throw dollars in baskets and we support each other. And uh, anybody out there struggling, um, you know, reach out to someone, reach out to me, reach out to anybody. It's it's possible. Yeah, I didn't think it was possible. Yep. Um, but I mean... You can live, you can, if if that's what you want, if you don't want to live that way anymore, there are people out there that want nothing more than to help you. And I got lucky that 
when I was down in Bloomington, I got sober in a college town and there was a bunch of old geezers who were sober that told me that I could still do stand-up comedy, that I could go anywhere any free man could go and I could, I could do stand-up as long as I had a reasonable to, to be there. So I would go do my sets and I would hop on my bicycle and leave. And then I would go talk to these old fogies and they would tell me, keep doing it. Call us if you feel in a tough spot. You know, so I offer the same to anybody else. Like, I'm a pretty accessible guy on Facebook, social media, things like that. Uh, anybody that has my number currently. Um, I stay sober because 2, 3 in the morning comes around and someone's struggling. I can answer the phone yeah. because people did it for me. Beautiful. We'll get to your corner of the internet at the end of the show, but thank you for sharing. You're welcome. That's awesome. I would like to take a break from Mr. Dave Yates and share our listener story of the week, if that's okay. Listener story of the week. Bow, bow, bow. Okay. Um, this story comes from Stephanie Haynes of Petersboro, New Hampshire. Did I say that right? You did indeed. Okay. When I was 16 years old, my parents moved our family out of the suburbs I grew up in and into a small town where it seemed like everybody knew everybody else. People were nice enough to me, but I never really felt like I fit in. She says, I did manage to make a few friends, but spent two years there feeling largely like an ind- in- feeling largely like an invisible outsider in my class of 46 kids. So on the day before we graduated, during the ceremony rehearsal, one of my classmates, this likable guy named Kipper Brown, serenaded with the song, which rhymes with her maiden name, which is Steph Parado. That's funny. And a few others joined in. They sang with me to a kindness that they probably always felt, but I never saw it. And it was the first time that I felt like part of the group. What's cool is that Kipper Brown sends a Facebook birthday message with the link to this song. And she loves it. I love feeling like I belong to that school and that town and that graduating class. Thanks, Stephanie Steph Haynes. Steph Perrotto. Oh, Thanks, Steph. Steph Perrotto. Music is the best, I'm telling you. Yes, it is. It that's, is the best. That's why the tunes shuffle, baby. Yeah. That's why the tunes shuffle. That was our listener story of the week, brought to you by Your Name Here. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Stephanie. It's so cool how songs can connect people and have a common bond. Yeah. Like, even though your story and my story for the Deftones is different, like it's just yeah. like there's a connection. Music is the best. Like... I don't like when people make fun of the type of music that people listen to, I even agree. if I don't think it's good music, you know? I am more wary about the people that just, I don't listen to music. Yeah. yeah. Don't mean They're out there, yeah. but they're out there, and it's creepy. Like, I had a boss that I used to drive with doing sales, and he wouldn't listen to the radio. We'd just sit in the car in silence, and it Ugh. drove me bonkers. Yeah. Now it's time for a game that we like to play called Band or Bar. That's right, Band or Bar. This is the game where we choose a band name and a bar name from a specific location anywhere in the world that was suggested to us by our previous guest, Ernie G. Yeah. Yeah, Ernie G was here last Earn dog. week. Dog. Ernie suggested uh, we go to East Los Angeles, California, mm. because he's a native son of that area. And so uh, how this works, Dave Yates, is that you and Maggie are going to hear two uh, different options here. One will be the name of a bar in East Los Angeles. The other will be the name of a band. Okay. Your job is to choose which one is the bar okay. or which one is the band. Okay. So your choices are The Brat or The Boulevard. Oh, man. What? The Brat or The Boulevard. Maybe it's The Brat. Oh, if it was the brat, I would love it more. I know. Milwaukee. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, say. Go I'm gonna ahead. say the Boulevard is the band, and and the brat is the bar. That's what I was gonna say. You were gonna say the Boulevard is the musician, is, is the band, and the brat is the bar. 
Well, let's start with a brat. Led by the ineffably cool vocalist <laughs> Teresa Kavorabias, sure an arresting great. performer who effortlessly went from fire-breathing punk high school to artful romantic statements, starry eyes, to penetrating sociocultural observations. The Wolf, those are the names of the songs. The Brat were one of the finest late 70s punk bands anywhere in the era of such formidable competition as Debbie Harry and Polly Serene. Oh, wow. Easily held their own, the Brat churned out some exceptionally high-quality songs, five which were captured on their excellent 1980 Attitudes EP. I love that. Yeah, they didn't make it past 1985. Was that what the Ramones were singing about? Beat on the Brat, beat on the (gasps) Brat with a baseball bat, oh yeah. I wonder that would be a piece of trivia. Was was there a connection between the Brat? Because it is the same time time frame for sure. And then the Boulevard, of course, is uh, on twenty six thirty one Whittier Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. That's in beautiful Boyle Heights. Boyle. You can dial three two three two six one thirty ninety for more information. And some of the reviews of the Boulevard, which is a great sports bar, is said to be the best sports bar in East Los Angeles, as well as a wonderful music venue. Happy hour is from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. One dollar any beer. What? Yes. And one, <laughs> one reviewer who didn't give his name says, the only downside is that they just have beer. But a, yeah. but a decent selection with some craft beer. So Cl- I think clearly it, not an alcoholic. No. Like all they have is alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> the downside of this bar. And then tall tall cans of Pabst Blue Ribbon for Heck four yeah. bucks. So uh, if you're you know, in East like, LA, go ahead. Sorry. No, if you're in East LA, check out the Boulevard. But you can't see the Brat. They're all said and done. We have a job for you. Uh oh. Your job. Dave Yates, kind of is to uh, send us anywhere in the continental U.S. or abroad and give us a locale for our next show where I can put together the next band name or bar name game. It's okay, Chicago, no. obviously. Okay, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. Yeah. Obviously. Band name or bar name. Brought good. to you by M2M Studios, who are coming out the first two weeks in August. If you go to our email, whitetoonshuffle at gmail.com, and you ask for a taping or a one-day session with M2M Studios, we'll give you a nice discount, 15%. Dave Yates, back to you. It's 2017. We've gone through your fave five. Yeah. Let's go current. Current. What's your guilty pleasure? What are you listening to? Guilty pleasure? Yes. I mean, a guilty pleasure song of mine, like a guilty pleasure song is that Justin Bieber, uh, Love Yourself song. It is a, I, I heard that, and I get. I go through a lot of breakups. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. I, I don't know whether it says anything about me. No, or, no. But yeah, the, it was the catalyst for me moving out. This didn't mean to be a breakup episode. Forty minutes before I got on stage in um, Columbus, Ohio, I got a call from the last girlfriend I had before moving out here. Uh, a couple of years ago now, that she was leaving me for the bass player in her band. Oh, my God. And I'm like, uh, it, it crushed me, and I had to be on stage 40 minutes later working out material. And I, I didn't know what you're thinking. You're like, it had to be the bass player. Like, it couldn't have been the drummer or the guitar it, player. It doesn't even matter. It, it, was, it was the fat sausage fingers. That's what it was. That's probably why it was the bass oh player. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to be a family show, Dave. We're darn tootin' we're going to keep this... Family to close out your episode of Why Tune Shuffle for the Tune Squad, this is David's favorite part of the show. Dave Yates, thinking very hard, what was the very first concert you saw in your life? Weird Al Yankovic at the Star Plaza Theater oh, in oh, Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> Beat it. And it's still one of my top five concerts I've ever seen. 
it was amazing. It was right around when Bad Hair Day came out, mm-hmm. uh, where he did the Gangsters Paradise uh, yes. parody. Paradise. Yeah, yeah, Amish Paradise. Yep. Uh, which I will still karaoke both Gangsters Paradise and Amish Paradise. And uh, I was, <laughs> oh man, I was probably like eleven or twelve, and my dad took me and my buddy Jason uh, out to West, Western Indiana to see Weird Al Yankovic at this theater. He's a accordion virtuoso. That's what most people don't know about Weird Al. Is he is an accordion virtuoso. Wow. I, I'm glad he's getting the respect he deserves yeah. because for, I, I a, he's for a little always, bit, for like 10 years, there was some, he was like a, a cheap shot for certain comics, and, and he's great. You mentioned that people can reach out to you. Yeah. How do they do that? What's your corner of the internet? At Yates Comedy on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, just search Dave Yates, fan page, Dave Yates, uh, YatesComedy.com is my website. Uh, so yeah, any form of social media, I usually respond. So struggling questions, uh, I make and sell my own hot sauce. If you want to buy some hot sauce, you can message me at Yates Comedy. It's super good. You can buy some. It's delicious. It's delicious. Delicious. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave Yates. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 